0: So, uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, here's the deal. So, that's, I mean, it's, it's funny, and here, like, let me be very clear. Uh, that's not how all dads are, and there's stereotypes all over it, and that's why it's funny and stuff like that. I, I, do, I do, even in light of what we'll talk about today, it is a segue into this beautiful reality of we are called as people across any, right, male, female, father, mother, to care about the interests of others, Right? to think of others more important than ourselves. And so part of this is, is as fathers, let me just give this to you, like, and this should be obvious, you should know your kids. Okay? Like you should ask them questions. You should know who their friends are. You should know what they love to study. You should know their talents. You should ask them questions. You should be on the floor. You should be sitting at the table. You should be doing it all. Okay? Your primary responsibility as a husband is to love your wife and to love your kids after you give glory to God. But that gives glory to God in that and so, Fathers, I know so many of you, and I know so many of you will be able to answer those questions right, and I'm super thankful for it. And then for those of you who couldn't answer those questions right, that's all right. Try and ask those questions this afternoon. Be involved. It's an important aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Amen? Yeah? All right, so turn your Bibles. We are actually going to get into the Scriptures today, so turn to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, if you're not familiar with Philippians, it's a letter. It's a short letter in your New Testament, second half of the Bible. You can turn there, written by Paul. And as you're turning there real quick, I have to do a slight correction on something I said last week. And it's just real brief. I told you this illustration. We were talking about how Philippians gives us this vision of life, which is holding up Jesus as the lens with which we do everything. And I said, sometimes what happens is the world holds up the scripture to the church and there's a disconnect, right? Like we don't seem to live up to the scriptures that we say are what we do base our whole faith on, right? Uh, and so in that, I'd you this illustration. I went to Red Curry, a restaurant downtown, and I was saying this hypothetical situation because it's a vegan restaurant. If you were to walk in there and saw the owner eating a turkey leg in the back, that, that wouldn't add up, right? You'd begin to question the authority that she would have to speak on vegan issues, right? And so it was not a great illustration, but um, just to be clear, that was a hypothetical, Right? Many of you emailed saying, hey, we went to Red Curry. She wasn't eating a turkey leg this time. I know, because she wasn't then either, okay? It was a what if this happened, okay? So I wanted to bring that up seriously, because I don't mean to slander. I don't. If you're here, we love you. Thanks for your food. Um, but we don't want to like, slander a local business. That did not happen. They're great. I think she only eats vegan. That's all good, okay? Actually, I don't even know if the owner's a woman. I've never met her. It was a whole hypothetical. <laughs> So no more messages, it's great, we should all eat there after, happy Father's Day. Okay, so <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, let me start today with a question. And I want you to participate. And, and hear me, I want you to be honest, if you think this about yourself, it's, it's, no one's looking, no one's judging, well people are probably looking, people are probably judging, but um, they shouldn't, okay? And so if you think you are a humble person, raise your hand. Okay, anyone willing? Anyone willing to do it? Okay, there's one. Perfect. Anyone else? That's good. Two? Isn't, isn't not to make you a bad person? Three? Okay, four? Great. Humble person, good. How many of you think you're a prideful person? Okay, great. Okay, fine. Now, here's, here's the reality of life. Um, if we're honest with ourselves, okay, it, it, it should be kind of both. Now, here's what I mean. You're not completely humble. That's, that's Jesus, right? Um, but you're, you're not completely prideful. Like if, we're, if we're a bit honest with ourselves, if, if we don't need to kind of just tear ourselves down, like we're not always prideful. There are certain situations where I think, if we're honest, no, we're, we're, we can be a little bit humble, some more than others. We, we grow, we are sanctified over time. Like that's, that's a reality. So it's, it's kind of a both-hands thing. But the Christian life, okay, what the Bible calls us to is this movement where, yes, we, we are prideful, and <clears throat> yes, at a certain level, we can be humble, but the vision of the Christian life, the work of the Spirit of God, is that this might decrease and this might increase, right? That this hand could be raised higher over time by the work of the Spirit in our lives. If this isn't happening, then we have to begin to question, well, what's going on with my faith? Am I studying? Am I learning? Am I seeking to grow? Because you should become more like Jesus. You should grow in humility, and so, so that's the vision. So if you find yourself, okay, you were a little struggling. Maybe you just felt weird about raising your head near the humble question. I get that. But the vision of the Christian life is there are always these opposites, right? right? We're, we're greedy and we're generous. The goal of the Christian life is as Jesus does his work through his spirit in us, we become more generous and we become less greedy. This whole talk today The scriptures unveil this, not not just this recommendation for humility as if it's this good thing, you should be humble for humble sake. It's going to call us to humility because one, Jesus is that way, right? And we emulate and look to become like him. And two, it is a mandate for the church to be its witness in the world. And and if we punt on this, if we think it's not that big a deal, or if we just try and do it in a false humility way, it's not going to get us to where God's trying to take us. Okay. And and so we have to kind of live in that that tension. So here we go, Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. Uh, Real quick, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to hand you a hard copy of the Scriptures. You can keep this if you don't have it. So just slip your hands up. I think one of our interns or someone who just wants to do that will come up and do this. And so hands raised if you want a Bible. There you go, there's a little guy there. Anyone else, just slip your hand up. If you have a phone, just that counts, right? So scroll to your Bible app and we'll do that. So Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection in sympathy, okay? In other words, if anything we talked about last week is true, and if you weren't here with us last week, real quick recap, Paul was talking to the church in Philippi about what a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ looked like. If you want to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he gave kind of four main ideas behind that. The first one is Christ-centeredness, that everything in life goes through the lens of him. Let me be very clear. Everything in life goes through the lens of Jesus. What you think, what you feel, what you do all through the lens of Jesus, centered on him, his work, his life, death, resurrection, his gospel, right? That has to be the starting point of everything we do, Christ-centered. The second piece was that we would be unified. He's going to circle back to this today, unified one mind, one spirit with the brethren, so the church would be united. Now, he's going to zoom in on the unification of the church, the one mind, one spirit, and he's going to zoom in on what does it mean to have one mind today, that can be confusing. What do we have one mind about? Do we have to all agree on every issue in the world? Do we have to agree on every issue in Scripture? Like, so he's going to hone in and define for us what unified looks like, what one mind looks like today. The third one we talked about last week is that you're secured by your salvation. Christ's work on the cross secures you. You need not seek security elsewhere. Right? You know that Christ's work today secures you, and it secures you for eternity, and so you are not afraid of opposition. You have no fear in this world because Christ has already accomplished what you could not and secured your eternity with him. The last one, <clears throat> excuse me, and we didn't love this one, was that not just that we would believe, but that we'd suffer well. That we'd suffer. And so, in other words, if there's persecution coming, we'd willingly take that suffering, and that the life of the Christian is called to enter into suffering. And here's what we mean by this. This isn't suffering that is placed upon you if you've been harmed or hurt by someone. This isn't, hey, willingly chase that. This is a willingly chase the decrease of you for the increase of others. So if that means that, again, we become less greedy and more generous, that means you forsake your own, "Ah, I want to buy this, that I might allow this person to flourish. That That is a moment of sharing in the suffering of Jesus. It is a laying down of self for the sake of the other. And so that is the fourth part of the life that is worthy of the gospel. What Paul will do throughout the book of Philippians is zoom in on this life. And today he circles back to that second one. Church, what does it mean for us to be unified and of one mind, and what does that look like? Okay, so continuing on, verse two. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So he says, in order to complete my joy, circling back to Philippians chapter one, verse 18, where he says, I have rejoiced and I will continue to rejoice, but now complete my joy by what? Being of one mind and one spirit. But hear me this calling is somewhat conditional by the verse we just read. This calling to move into to complete the joy of Paul, okay to fulfill the scriptures to be the church is conditional on how do you answer verse 1. And so I want to pause for 15 seconds. And it's going to be silent and quiet, and I know we hate that. And I want you to ask yourself this honest question. Is there any encouragement in Christ, any movement in the Spirit in your life, that you would look more like Jesus? Okay? So I want you to ask yourself that for the next 15 seconds. Because if, well, I'll get down to the breakdown of the answers. Is there any encouragement as you look at Jesus? Is there any conviction of the Spirit that your life would look like His? Fifteen seconds, I want you to think about it. Okay, now, <clears throat> I think for some of you, maybe that answer came quick, right? You're like, yes or no, right? Like, uh, for some of you, uh, I think maybe the answer was, it was kind of this wrestle maybe for some of you, right? It was like, yeah, but also some of this, right? <clears throat> there's, there's two groups uh, of people in the church this morning, right? There, there's, there's a group of us, right, and a lot of us that are probably Christians, and there's I know every week, some of you that are not Christians, right? You're like, Jesus, that's not my Savior, it's not my Lord, it's in my faith. But I I came, and for whatever reason. No, if you're here, and you're a Christian, and and you said yes, hear me, that's that's good. That's the conviction of the Spirit of God, saying, yeah, be more like me. That's what this is about. Be more like Jesus. Move towards that. Be sanctified, okay? Um, if, If you're here, you said yes, and you're not a Christian, hear me, that's a conviction of the Spirit, and He's drawing Himself to you. Humanity does not want God on our own. We just don't. We want us. We want me. We want our stuff. So, so hear me. If you're if you're here and you're not a Christian, you answer, yeah, yeah. I, I do feel that. Right? So the, the wooing, if you will, of the Spirit of God, come, come and know me. If if you're here and you're a Christian. Uh, sorry, if you're not a Christian and you said no to that, I just want to say thanks for being here, right, and please continue to come, engage questions, ask those around you, and begin to analyze what are the barriers, what are the, what are the barricades, what are the reasons why, man, this just seems so foolish or whatever, and we'd love to talk to you about that. Sit down, do coffee, do lunch, whatever. And, and then lastly, if you're here and you're a Christian and you answered no, and, and I, would, I would hope that we were answering honestly, like, Do I feel this need to be conformed greatly and greater day by day to the image, person, and work of Jesus? And you're like, "Ah, no. We really need to talk. Because that's not of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God wills and wishes to make us more like Jesus every day of your life. And if it's not there, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, that's not for me to decide, but it is a question of, have you quenched the Spirit, as the Bible says? Have you so said no to Him over and over that it's not even a conviction anymore that your life should emulate His? And so, I, listen, I, I, hear me, I've been in that place, and I would love if you would just be so willing to be bold, to come up to us afterwards, stop by the connect test, fill out an info card, and sit down and talk about that reality. If you're in a Christian, not Christian, we're somewhere on that spectrum, let's meet. Let's talk to us. Let's, let's be part of discipleship, yeah? So with whatever you answered, let's bring that into back into verse two. Complete my joy of being in the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord, and of one mind. Again, circling back to the second evidence, of the gospel-worthy life that we would be united and of one mind. Now, Paul's going to give us now some wisdom in verses 3 and forward of how this actually plays itself out, okay? So let's read verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also the interests of... Others. So again, complete my joy in verse 2 by what? The church being of one mind and one spirit. One accord pursuing the same goal. Okay? The answer, hear me, the answer to division in the church, right? It's not convincing other people you're right. It's not yelling louder. It's humility. Humility. The answer to division, and the answer to division in the world, is not a killer Facebook status like we talked about last week. It's not your rhetoric and being able to win someone in an argument. It's humility. Pursue this. Be one. One mind. One accord. How? Humility. And he unpacks this for us because humility starts in the internal but must move to the action, starts in the heart and the mind but must move to the way you live and carry this out amongst the people in your life. And so let's read again, verse 3, do nothing, how many things? No things, out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do you do one thing? Do you do five? You do nothing, no things, out of a selfish, conceited Movement of your heart. That, that's, that's the movement in the life of what Jesus is calling us to. Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more than yourself. So hear me. The answer to selfishness is not, well, stop being selfish. The answer to selfishness is to see other people rightly. The answer to selfishness and conceit is love of others. It's that you begin to acknowledge and lift them and herald them even beyond what they deserve, okay? Because here's the reality of life. Here's what we learn from the scriptures. Genesis tells us in Genesis 127 that God created man in his image, the Imago Dei. You might hear that term thrown around, right? that all of humanity was created in the image of God. Here's what this means. It levels the playing field, right? We've said this here before. And so humanity is here, right? And so say this is you and say this is someone else, right? It could be anyone, pick someone close to you, someone not close to you. You guys, by significance and value, which is defined by God, are on the same level. Your value is set by the creator God whom you are made in his image, okay? That's, that's settled. Now, what we often do with humility is we say, okay, you know what I'm going to do then? Is I'm going to think less of myself, right? I, I, I will kind of tear myself down uh, so that others, like that way I can be humbled. That, that's not the answer. Right? The answer is you to be less of you, you be full of you. It's for you to actually intentionally, even though the significance is not there, Right? No human being is more significant than another. They have no more value than another. But what we intentionally do to enter into the life of Jesus is although we're here, we raise them up. And we begin to see them as more significant than ourselves, even though this is true. Humanity, listen, we are all significant because of the value placed on us in the image of God from the beginning of time. But what we do is we intentionally herald and raise them to see them as more significant than self. We begin to, to actually have to look at people and have to know people and, and to look at them as their, their full self. And we're not saying that you, this doesn't mean you agree with everything they say and everything they do. It means as a person, you intentionally count them more significant than yourself, Okay? So there's this internal reality to humility that is not this self-deprecation. Uh, Tim Keller in the book Freedom, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, and I think we've used this quote here like 15 times. I just love it so much, and I think it gets to the heart of what the Scriptures are talking about. It says humility is not thinking of thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. Right? Like you, you, you are not right the center of the universe. This isn't me, 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 me. Right? It is I am going to intentionally see you as more significant than me. And and as I do that, that is humility. As you begin to see people through the lens of how Jesus seems, for whatever reason, to see us and see humanity. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. Now, um, what you have here is the image of God and then you have The calling of the kingdom of God, right? The image of God creates us on the same platform, but the kingdom of God, what it means to be the church, means that we see people from this lens, this view, and this angle. But then we begin to then, in the next verse, verse 4, we care not just about the way we feel about people, but actually what they do and what their lives... So when you care about the interests of other people, what what you're really saying is, I, I care about the things that would help you and cause you to flourish, Like, I'm going to step into, and it's not just lip service, it's not just something I can say, I'm going to intentionally insert myself into your life in such a way that the things that would cause your life to flourish, I will not just care about, but I will help with. Look not just to your own things, now hear me, this isn't a don't care for yourself, only care for others, that's not what the Bible is saying, you got stuff you got to take care of, Right? You guys are parents. So you got to take care of your kids, right? Make sure they're fed, clothed, all that. Okay. You got to go to work for, for a lot of us, right? You got to go to work. You got to eat, okay? At Red Curry, okay. <laughs> you have there's things that you have to. You don't forsake these things, but don't don't let that verse like, hey, we'll also look to the en- interests of others as like this. Ah, well then I don't really need to do much. I think we can kind of be like, oh, I know verse 3 was really intense, like count others more significant, but, but, but verse 4, it's like, well, I, I can care about me too. And hear me, that's totally true. You have to care about things that you need to do in life, but don't water down the movement of Scripture here. And we're going to get a primary example in just a moment, but, but don't do that. Like Allow the, allow the Scripture to convict us. Begin to think through the interests of the people around you, your neighbors, and hear me, even your enemy. What does it mean for me to step into ways to serve those who are even my enemy that might cause their life to flourish? Even at the detriment of my own interests, desires, wants, happiness, etc. This, this is humility, as the Bible calls us to. Right? And, and it doesn't sound very great. Like it sounds... If we're honest, it's just really difficult. Verse five starts off by saying, having this mind among yourselves. So we circle back to the life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where it calls us to have one mind and one accord. What's he talking about? He's talking about humility. Humility. He's talking about considering others more significant than self. Is he telling the church in Philippi that they must agree about every issue? No. But he is saying that in the midst of all the complexity of life, in the midst of all the divergent opinions and division in the room around different issues, the way the church handles those things is by looking to the other and saying, you're more significant than me. And I will care about your interests just like I care about my own. Thereby answering all of the things that fall in place when we see each other the way Jesus seems to see us for whatever reason. Do you see that? That's what one mind is. You don't have to agree on everything. Hooray! That sounds awful to sit in all those conflict resolution meetings but you do have to enter those meetings and you do have to see your brother and sister in Christ through the lens of they are more significant than I and I will serve their interests the way I serve my own. And if you don't do that, hear me, you are not obeying scripture. You're not heeding the conviction of the spirit. It's not a recommendation. This is how we see each other. And it is a mandate for a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we view each other. Now, we get (coughs) this beautiful vision and this most beautiful example. And shocker, it's Jesus, okay? But the words and the eloquence, you have to see the way Jesus moves in this scene or in, in his life, really. So here we go. Verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, equi- did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, so here, if we can go back to the, if this was at all helpful this little chart, or whatever you call this. Here's what Jesus does. Here's the example he gives us. And again, this mind, this humility, it comes from where? It's the first line. This mind have among you. Why? Because it's yours in Christ Jesus. This is possible only because of him. And here's what this means church, if you're here and you're the church and you're a Christian, you are, we are incredibly equipped to bring unity to the church and become a picture for the world to emulate because this type of humility is not possible outside of Jesus. It only belongs to the church because the spirit of God has so equipped his people. It is ours in Christ Jesus. If you just leave here today and say, I'm gonna be more humble, that won't work. I get, like, even that is a prideful thing. Like, I'm going to do this. No, you're not. Yeah, I know you're not. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if that was like, you hate me or love me, but all right. <laughs> the, the, the humility that Jesus shows us is a humility we are called to, and it's different than any of the humility this world's going to offer or show. And so we need to say... Ah, I'm not going to do better. I'm going to lean into Jesus. I'm going to know I have this because of Jesus. I'm going to know I can be convicted in this because of the Spirit of God. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Imago day for humanity, we're here. We count each other and see each other as more significant than ourselves, that we might from this vantage point serve and love and care and bless. Jesus was here. Okay? He is more significant than us, He is God. He deserves all glory, honor, praise. We are not him. We're here. Amago Day, beautiful. Not Jesus. Jesus became in the likeness of men, intentionally did what? Came down here. Became a servant in the likeness of men and descended to us because we could not get to him. Jesus, in his humility, came to his people because we could not get to him. Jesus, in his humility, came and was born into us, into this mess. And hear me, he didn't stop there because then he came, became a man, then became a servant of man, then went to a cross and died. The most humiliating death this world has ever seen. Do you notice the descending nature of our Savior? God, far more significant, says, no, in love and humility, I come to your level. No, in love and humility, I go below, and in love, I go below again. Church, be like me, is what he says to us. Die that what these people, although significant only because of what he has done, are raised in grandeur and significance because of the glory of the Father. This is the gospel, and it's the only chance we have to be humble the way the Bible calls us to be humble. It's the only chance we have to bring unity amongst the church, that we could fulfill what we talked about last week, that we wouldn't just think this this way, but that we would, stride by stride, walk arm locked with arm, with like believers in Jesus. With this mind to serve, bless, and save the world. This is the movement of our Savior with whom we all say we follow. So so, so the question is is that true? Because if it does, then we have to move that direction. And again, this humility, it's not, it's not the stuff you can just say, well, I'm going to take bits and pieces of this, mix it with some of the world stuff. This is otherworldly. This is other kingdomly, This is Jesus, and he's altogether, not us. So his humility looks different. Praise God, he's given us himself that we might be able to have a fighting chance to be a little bit like him. We land here, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Notice, Jesus didn't have a certain name, okay, until after the obedience of Jesus all the way to the cross, okay? Bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Most theologians are going to say the name that they speak of is a name attributed to God Yahweh in the Old Testament. The name, right, that they couldn't even spell because it was just so holy and grandiose. That that now has been ascribed to Jesus, a man in the flesh, who was also God. Isaiah 45:23-25 says this, "By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me a righteousness and strength." To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Only by this God might every knee bow. With this moment in Philippians is this concrete pursuit in the theology of Paul, fulfilling everything we already know through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And this is important because, hear me, when I call you to live, live the life of Jesus, it's not like I'm just saying, hey, look at this dude over here and the great life he lived. What we're called to emulate is God himself. And the one that's doing the calling is God himself who made us, created us, and then equips us to actually have a chance to do it. At every level, to God be the glory What is the end result and the end goal of the life of Christ? What what happens? The end goal, let's read verse 5. In the Lord, or sorry, sorry, verse 11. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For why? To the glory of God the Father. Why why Jesus? Why all of this? Why this whole move for the church of humility? What is the end game? Even for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Glory to the Father. God God is about God. Church, hear me. We have lost a bit of reverence for God. In our own hearts, and maybe it's just me. I think it's us. We've lost a bit of, man, everything, this whole world is to declare and be about your glory. You're heralding, you're renowned. That's why we live. That's why we're here. That's why this, this movement to this type of humility, that we might move to people, that the church might be united, that the world would know, that the king might be just raised up. Why? That God be glory this day and forever. Until the end of time. I think at the end of the day, all these movements and desires towards humility will fall flat if we don't realize that the penultimate reason for this world and for existence is God's glory. Because He deserves every ounce of it. And when you start there, it's not, You don't even have to move towards it. You're just humbled at the reality of the grandeur and the beauty of our God. And then all the rest of the stuff begins to just make sense. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. To the Father in heaven, to every father here, and to every person who would seek today to grant and give glory to the one who would do every bit of it, that the world would know. And that the church might rejoice as a unified, unified body. That the world we know will be so motivated and ask the Spirit to do work now as we pray. Let's do it. Lord, we thank you because, God, it's just, I, I know I just, I, I, I want to be, I know so of want to be, humble. Lord, there are things you've given us, (laughs) some some like, hey, see people this way and do that, but Lord, ultimately, we long to see you as far more significant than us. And Lord, we thank you so much, Jesus, that though you are far more significant than us, you moved down to us and even below us (laughs) that, Jesus, we might be raised up with you. So, Lord, would your grace and your conviction, your spirit, would it convict us of your grandeur today? Would you reveal to us your glory? And, God, I I know we, we can't handle it this side of heaven. We would be wrecked. But, Lord, give us as much as we can have today that, God, we would be humble before you and humble before each other as a body that is of one mind that seeks to look to one another and to count each other as more significant than ourselves, that we might bless and serve those around us and that this would carry out to the world as we seek to bless them as well. God, for any here, Christian or non, God, would you move in power, Holy Spirit, to bring conviction and bring love, bring truth And God, would you unite your people for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.